Second of the seven churches, uh, verse 8, and to the messenger, to the angel, to the angelos of the church in Smyrna. Uh, I've talked about this last Sunday in some more depth. I'm not going to spend the time on it today. I I don't think that this is actually, as I talked about, a, a heavenly angelic being when it says, and to the angel of the church. I don't think this is a guardian angel. I talked about that last Sunday. You can go and and listen to that, uh, more on that. I actually think this is a human, uh, angelos, messenger is the base foundation meaning of that. It can be an angelic being. It can be a human person in some kind of messengering capacity. And as I talked about, I think this is one of the leading elders, a uh, plurality of elders from a local church from uh, whom Christ mediates his rule um, to the angelos of the church in Smyrna. Now, where's Smyrna? It sounds like Smurf world, doesn't it? Uh, Smyrna, well, you can see on a little bit of a map here, just a big broad picture of, you can see Egypt there, Israel over to the right, Turkey up in that area, the circle, that's the area uh, where we're talking about all the seven churches are in that circle, as well as Patmos, and you can see that here on the larger picture, you can see this little island down here, this is Patmos, then the first, I don't know if you can read it or not, that first dot there is Ephesus, the one right above it is Smyrna, then you can see the other five churches that we're going to be uh, jumping into here in our text, uh, but that's a uh, lay of the land with it. A little bit about Smyrna. Uh, some historians consider Smyrna uh, one of the most uh, uh, exquisite cities that the Greeks ever built. It was not a hick world. It was something amazing. Uh, they were a long ally of Rome, and it was also a hotbed of emperor worship. And that's really important to be able to understand what we're going to be talking about today. Smyrna is a a hotbed of emperor worship. And if anybody was against emperor worship, uh, they had a problem with them. And in fact, they persecuted them greatly. And obviously, that included followers of Jesus Christ. And so the church in Smyrna uh, is a church that is experiencing great persecution at the time. I want to be honest about this as we start into this, because sometimes whenever I hear people talking about persecution and the kind of persecution that they were experiencing, the fact of the matter is we we don't understand this. We don't understand this kind of persecution. So I just want to tell you right up front, I'm not going to try and guilt us into it. I'm not going to try and play into it. I'm not going to try any of that. Uh, to understand what this kind of tribulation that they went through like we have it. But but I do kind of want to have us try our best at this. And so I'm just going to bring up a picture. No, this is not from a church in Smyrna. Uh, This is just a picture that I think kind of represents uh, uh, desolation and destruction and Uh, in a situation, whether it's been burnt, whether it's been whatever, I I just kind of, with that picture up, I I asked this question for us. What do you say to a church that's gone through that? What do you say to a people that's gone through that? And in fact, I think here's even my greater question. What does Jesus say to a people that has gone through something like that? Well, here's what's so cool about it. He does have something to say. And while you and I may not understand and be able to grasp uh, yet, and I mean that seriously, yet what the kind of persecution that the people in Smyrna experienced in 95, 96 AD, uh, we do understand trials. We do understand slander. We do understand uh, uh, some of these things in our context. And I do want to try and bring that home in our context. Uh, Look at verse 8. 
here's the first thing that Jesus starts with saying to these people who are experiencing tribulation trial in their life. And I think this is so cool. This is such a big deal. Please don't bypass this. Look at what he says. The first thing he says is something about who he is. What does he say? The words of, in other words, the one who's speaking, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I don't know if you remember, if you were listening while I was reading out of uh, Revelation chapter 1, if you remember picking up in that, where Jesus says he is the first and the last, and, and he is the one who was, was died and rose again. I also want for you to look at verse 1 in chapter 2. We did this last Sunday, talking in this text last Sunday, verse 1. Uh, in there he says the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And then go to verse 12, next Sunday, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. And then down to Thyatira, uh, verse 18, the words of the Son of God, he who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And you can go to every one of the seven churches, and Jesus starts out in there by telling something about himself. And he doesn't say the same old thing that he said to the church before. Every one of them is something unique about himself. And here's what's really cool about it. Every one of the seven things that he says about himself are all included in what he says about himself in chapter one. Hey, the people in Ephesus, remember that? They lost their first love. They were busy, 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 doing, 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 and yet they lost their first love. Guess what? They needed to hear that Jesus has their leadership in his hands because maybe there's some problems there. But in it all, they also needed to be reminded that he walks among them. He's not just saying something from afar like he got a news bulletin. No, he knows. Remember last Sunday, I was walking around, wigging you out, walking around with that. He knows. He knows what's going on. It's just not about doing from distance. He knows what's going on in the heart. He can look us in the eyes and know what's taking place. They needed to hear that about Jesus. Hear that the people in Smyrna, they needed to hear that Jesus in their situation is the eternal Jesus, that he's the Jesus who knows death and resurrection. I just in this, I ask, (laughs) what do you, what do I, what do we need to be reminded of right now about who Jesus is? With what you're going through in life right now. Whether it's hard times or whether it's joyous times, what do you need to be reminded about who Jesus is? Because here's a key truth point. Jesus is just what we need. I think that's what we see in every one of these. He makes this notation about who he is. And it's a reminder of this. I'm just what you need. Whatever your situation, if it's losing the first love, if it's trials and tribulation, if it's as we get to these other churches, whatever that is, he's like, I, I, I got that. I, I, I'm just what you need. Hey, friends. Jesus is just what you need. Nothing more. Jesus is just what you need. You know, if I uh, heard words from the eternal one, the Godhead one who knows all things, who knows death and resurrection, and I'm in Smyrna at the time, I think two things, if I got words coming from him, I would be kind of responding back or I would be thinking. One is, is okay, if you are that, can you like do something about this? Right? I mean, if you are the eternal one and if you have it all in your hands kind of a thing, can you like do something about, we'll talk about that here in a bit. 
But I think the other thing in all of this that I would be looking and I would be asking or thinking is how hopeful. How hopeful. I know the one who has it all. He's the first and the last. He is God. I know him. I have a relationship with him. And he's just what I need. Even in this, even if I don't get it. Friends, Jesus is just what you need. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. So he starts out by saying who he is. I've got a word for you, a reminder for you about who I am. I'm I'm just what you need. What's the first two words of verse 9? I what? I what? I know. Every one of the seven churches, he starts with this. I, uh, it's oida. It's, it's not just I know about. It's not the kind of thing in this where uh, Jesus is like, I've, I've come to know, or I'm progressively come to an understanding. Like, you know, the snail mail is a little bit slow, but as I'm getting more letters, I'm kind of figuring it out. That's not what's happening here. It's more this idea. I absolutely, completely, and totally know what's going on here. I, I know. And what's important in this, and last Sunday, on purpose, I emphasized the fact that he knows, and I emphasized the fact that his knowing is something that brings great comfort. Friends, he knows. He he just knows. It also brings a level of conviction. Whoa, dude, you like crud, you know, okay? Okay. Today I want to fill out the word oida a little bit more here. Bring to the table that it's not only does he know about the information, does he know about the facts of things. It's that he's experienced them. I know. It's like, no. I know. And I know. Uh, really, seriously, I know. Tribulation, hey, Jesus knows. Poverty, think about this. Poverty, the second person of the Trinity knows poverty. Slander, he knows slander. In fact, let's look at each of this. Verse 9, I know your tribulation. The word great oppression, it's affliction, uh, suffering. Boy, Jesus knows that. I mean, falsely condemned. And on top of that, just all that time talking to people. It's like, dude, are you ever going to get this? Hey, he knows. He knows what it is to be to be beaten. We have no idea to the extent of what the crucifixion process and the beating really does to the Bible. Psalms tells us that he was without recognition. I can't even fathom someone beaten so bad that you wouldn't even recognize who they are. He knows. He's been murdered from a human standpoint. He knows martyrdom, if you will. And it's like for the these blessed people in this place, he's like, no, I, I, I know, I know. 
I get it. Also in verse 9, uh, and your poverty. It's interesting here, the, the, the word that John uses for poverty, there's a couple different words for poverty, and, and this is a word that, that is not just like, you know, you're not doing so well, but this is total abject poverty. I mean, this is like the greatest kind of poverty that you can imagine. This is a situation of, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures like in India or areas of Africa where, where there is just like such destitution of poverty that they have literally no absolute hope of ever getting out of that. We, we don't get that kind of poverty. Seriously, we don't understand that kind of poverty. The kind of poverty where you have no capability, no hope of ever getting out of your poverty condition. You have no help, no assistance. That's what this word is talking about. Total, abject poverty. And think about this. The second person of the Trinity came as a carpenter's son. And remember when they were talking to him, like, what what good comes out of Galilee? I mean, they're just like abject poverty, like squat. Think about that. Your redeemer gets extreme poverty. Wow. Philippians 2 all over that. And then also in verse 9, uh, you're being slandered. It's about harsh words, abusive speech that's intended uh, not just to embarrass, but to destroy those kinds of words. You know, it's kind of like neener, 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 you, you know, you this, you that. And it's like, oh, that hurts. Not that. This is intended to total destroy kind of communication. Boy, Jesus knows that. I mean, here he is, second person of the Trinity, called a liar. He's, he's a heretic. Crucify him. Jesus, if you, in fact, are the son of God, go ahead, come down off the cross, fool. He gets that. Friends, he knows. And we forget that far too often. He knows. Doug, you don't know what I'm going through. My small group doesn't know what I'm going through. His heart, his church doesn't really know what I'm going through. Well, I might try and graciously push back on that because oftentimes we think someone has to experience exactly what we've gone through. But in various levels, we all know what this is. We all know what it is to be tempted. We all know what it is to be trialed. We, we all get that. But let's just see, even if that was the case, i just say this, no, but he does. And I ask, Is the fact that he knows, is that enough for you and I? I mean, for real, guys. Because I don't know if that's been enough for me. I mean, if just he gets it, nobody else on the whole face of the earth gets it. Is that enough? Can you and I be satisfied and content in that? Jesus is just what you need. He's just what you need. You know, we tend to attach money and people and health and comfort to our hope. 
know, if you can pay your bills and have some money left over, well, you got happiness. If, you know, if you have someone that loves you, some people that love you, you've got happiness. If you have your health, then you have happiness. If you have comfort, you have happiness. Stress-free life, then you have happiness. I just want to say this. None of those will satisfy. None of them will. How often do I, how often do we have to go through this? In life, they don't satisfy In fact, it is so not fair to expect that some other person or some other people or some pastor or some church or some human being in some human kind of capacity can fill my satisfaction. That's not fair. We live in a broken world and we are broken people. And it doesn't fill our brokenness. It never will. But Jesus can. And I know that sounds so almost platitude. That just sounds so nice sounding, but I'm serious about this. No, friends, Jesus can. A relationship with Jesus Christ. That is just what we need. Horizontal hopes, they're so enticing but they will never fill you. Never. And in all of that, did you see the little parenthetic statement in verse nine? These dudes are in total abject poverty, poverty that I can't even fathom, where you have literally no hope of ever getting out of your poverty situation. You're being tribulated. (laughs) New word. You're you're being tribulated beyond what you can imagine. You're being slandered every day of your life. And then someone comes along and goes, but you are rich. We didn't say this in our home, but I'm just like, there's times where I think I'd be like, shut up. But two things. Number one, you have to remember who's saying this. This isn't John. This isn't me. This isn't you. This is Jesus of Revelation chapter 1 who's saying this. He has a better perspective, I think, on things than we do, right? And he's saying this. Secondly, along with this, I just want to bring to our attention that rich only makes sense in this situation if you go subsurface. Okay, if, if, if you're a horizontal person and, and you're putting all your hope and, and your confidence in horizontal stuff, people, things, you know, money, whatever, you know, popularity, power, whatever. I'm just going to tell you, that none of this makes sense. And that's why little parenthetic statements like that just cause us to like blow our mind and telling us we just don't get it. But what's going on here? Well, look at what Jesus says in verse 9 in the latter half because I think it helps us understand it says about some other people. It says, uh, uh, those who say they are Jews, they're not. Now, this isn't a racial comment. This isn't a, uh, they're, they're, they're genetically not a Jew and they're claiming to be a Jew. That's not what's happening here. This is really a, a, a Romans 2 kind of a statement to where if you call yourself a Jew, basically it's being said that, well, then if you really call yourself a Jew, you, you're really a believer and follower of Christ. 
is kind of what Romans 2 is talking about in there. I think that's what's coming out here. But look at this. Those who say they are Jews are not. They are a synagogue of what? Well, so much for the believe whatever you want always lead to God. Isn't that true? It's like, hey, whatever you believe is fine. Like, like believe in Islam, uh, believe in Buddha, uh, believe this, believe this. They're all paths to God. Guess what? The Bible totally says that's baloney. And so does the Quran. And so does every faith source of every faith statement. That whole thing is so catching America. Everybody just believe what you want and we'll all get there. Look at this. Do you see what Jesus is saying? These religious people, they are Jews genetically and they claim to be Yahweh lovers. That's what's behind all of this. And guess what? Jesus isn't giving them a warm hug. Does he love everyone? Absolutely he does. But when he comes down to this, do you see how how just strong this is? Jesus, let me put it this way. He's basically saying these people are in abject eternity poverty. Friends, you got to get subsurface on these things to understand what's happening here. And let's understand this. We're talking spiritual warrior. That's what's happening. That's what's going on here. These people are experiencing life. And man, I would be thinking uh, I could and we could be so horizontal in their situation and, and all of this stuff. And, and Jesus really is taking this all in the kind of a way. It's like, no, no, no you got to understand this is spiritual warfare stuff. These people aren't just doing their thing because they're misguided. Understand this. These people are doing what they're doing and Satan has them wrapped right around their finger. And Satan uses people to do his deeds. And that's what's happening here. This isn't just about you're not liked. This isn't about let's get racial equality. We're in a spiritual warfare that's going on. And they hate the followers of Christ's guts because they're standing up to emperor worship and not doing it. And Jesus essentially is saying, listen, I'm telling you guys, you are eternity rich. Eternity rich beyond what you can even fathom. These other people who are coming at you, these other people that have the money, that have the power, that have the seeming control, listen to me. They are in abject eternity poverty. And you are in a spiritual battle, not a human battle. It's hard to get out of human battle, isn't it? person's just making my life hard why don't they love me works tough neighborhood situation spiritual war spiritual war may i remind us jesus is just what you need I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that, and I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, verse 10, do not fear. Not only is life bad, but look at this. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, 
The devil, subsurface, spiritual war. We've had the synagogue of Satan, and now we've had the devil at it. Listen, Jesus understands. He sees the whole picture of the spiritual war going on. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, underline that, that you may be tested. Uh, Jesus knows about that. He understands it, and hear me on this. He's allowing it. This is a Job chapter 1 reality. I don't have time to go into it. But you want to do some more digging, go to Job chapter 1, you'll find out Satan is fully under God's sovereign control. And God allows him to do so much and not so much. And sometimes in this, we get so irritated and so mad in the situation. But friends, you have to wrestle with this one. You have to keep in your mind that even when it's hard, even in the tribulation, even when I don't get it, even though I don't even like saying this, the fact of the matter is, is God has allowed it to happen in your life. But I don't like it. I'm totally with you. I don't get it, totally with you, and I'm not going to try and bring some fake situation into it. Sometimes we just don't know, and we may go to death not knowing. But just know this, in it, there is a test of reality. I hate tests. I never did well at tests. That's my wife. Never did well at tests. I am not a test guy. I don't function that way. Let me draw it out. (laughs) Make me a picture. Uh, that's the way I work. Uh, I always hated tests. But, but keep reading here because look at this. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, there's a lot of talk. Is this 10 days? Is it, is it, is it, is it representative of something? Oh, I don't even want to get into it. I'll just say this. I think it's 10 days. But even if it isn't, it doesn't change the fact of this. It's temporary. It's going to end. And if you're in my 10 days, ends up being 10 years or 10 decades. Know this, it's going to end. It's going to end. This life is not all we have. Praise God. It is going to end. And whether it's money things, people things, health things, stress things, it's going to end. Go to Revelation 21 and read that baby. Ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Two directives. Do not fear. Be faithful unto death. Why? Well, not only because Jesus is what just what I need, but I'll say it this way. Jesus is all that we need. He's all that we need in here. And, and, and I... I could go and I could spend time, the do not fear statement. Friends, that is said so many times in the scriptures. Jesus says it like a a gazillion times. (laughs) That's a lot. A lot. And yet I struggle with it, you struggle with it. But, But why do I struggle with it? Because I really don't understand that he's all that I need. By the way, go back to what he said about who he is. I am the first and the last. I am eternal and I know it all. Why then do I, why then do we get so fussed up? Because I love to control. So do you. And in this, he's like, do not fear. I got it. I'm telling you, I got it. I see the big picture. I've got it. Man, that's a, that's a battle, isn't it? 
Do not fear tribulation. Do not fear poverty. Do not fear slander. Listen, friends, and you cannot do that on your own willpower. I mean, seriously, if you're facing martyrdom, man, I hope I would just say pull the trigger and do it. But I'm going to tell you, you can't do that on your own willpower. Jesus has to be all you need because it's like, pull the trigger. Please, get me out of here. Because it's a whole lot better with what's coming after this. Jesus is all that you need. Be faithful unto death. You, you, you can't do that on your own willpower. Let me just add this quickly. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Man, they had it made before sin. Why did they have it made? Because there were no weeds? <laughs> because the trees and the mountains are so beautiful and they had like the perfect log cabin on a lake in the mountains. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Because the animals like talked. (laughs) I don't know. No. Why was it so perfect for Adam and Eve? It was so perfect for Adam and Eve because they were in perfect relationship with the Lord. That's why. It wasn't because their circumstances were perfectly controlled. It was because they were just living in relationship with their creator. No sin in perfect condition. And in essence, uh, while it's a challenge for us because of sin today, I say, let's do this. We need to think that way. He's got it all covered. I I shouldn't have to fear about things. And it's like, to death, okay, to death. And these people knew about that. Bow to the emperor or die. Um, what if it was bow to the emperor and be tortured to death? Mm. We live in a broken world. But this is a test. These kinds of situations, they're opportunities to really see what's going on in my heart. Really see how I respond. What's going on in my heart in those times. What's going on in my attitude. They are tests. You know, as, 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 as fire tempers metal, pressure, trials, press us and grow us. Not only is it a test, but as I've noted, it's temporary. Ten days. Ten days. Hey, it's all going to end. Kind of finally, two things I just want to note in the whole of it so far. Jesus is shown doing two things. Number one, we've already talked about in verse 9, he knows. I just want to remind you, whatever's going on in life right now, I would encourage you to meditate on the reality of how Jesus knows even a situation like yours. He doesn't just know about No, no, no. He came to earth in flesh, lived it out, and friends, he does know. And also there at the end of verse 10, he says, I will give you the crown of life. I'm not going to give it to you. You're not going to give it to you. 
Buddha's not going to give it to you, nor is Allah going to give it to you, nor is Confucius going to give it to you. Billy Graham is not going to give it to you. The Pope is not going to give it to you. Bill Maher is not going to give you, thank God. Uh, the, the present, a present past or future government official is not going to give it to you. Jesus is going to give it to you and Jesus alone. Like, bring that crowning on. Crown me, man. Just crown me. Bring that on. Listen, it's just that picture of he will crown you with life. Friends, this is not about earning salvation. But yet, tests show whether we really have come to understand whether Jesus Christ is my redeemer or not. Go to Mark chapter 4. Look at the second and the third soil. They push and they press us to ask the question, did we really understand the gospel or were we in fact never really saved? But he is going to be the one who crowns us of life. It's not going to be a computer in heaven. It's going to be Jesus Christ crowning those who know him as their savior. Bring it on, man. Bring it on. You imagine that? Look at him in the eyes. Sweet. And verse 11, we finish. He who has an ear. She who has an ear. Let him, let her hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hear it, friends. Hear it. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. I'd like us just to kind of take some quiet time. Could you just maybe bow your head, close your eyes? I just want to talk for a minute here, just kind of in a quiet, contemplating kind of way. Redeemed one in Christ. Are you hearing what the first one and the last one has to say here? The one who died and came to life. Are, are, are you hearing him because he's the one who's saying all this? Jesus is just what you need. Jesus is just what you need. Jesus is just what you need, and Jesus is all that you need. You, you, you don't need a boyfriend. You don't need a girlfriend. You, you, you don't need a spouse that, that, that loves you like you would like to be loved. You, well, all of those things are fine. You, you don't need the success. You don't need a bigger cash account. That, that's not the thing. That's not the thing. Hear me. That's not the thing. It's just striving after the wind. And yet we all do it, don't we? If you're disappointed with life, I would press into you and say it's probably because you've been striving for the wrong one. Have you been striving toward Jesus? I don't mean working for Jesus. poor, you could be rich. You could have massive debt, you could have no debt. You could feel all alone and yet you might also be just surrounded by tons of people.
Not that any of those are not important, but they do not satisfy. I don't know, maybe even the picture that I had up on the screen kind of symbolizes uh, where life is at for you right now. Maybe it's just devastation and feeling in destruction with, I don't know, relationships or circumstances. Maybe that kind of depicts you. Do you see Jesus in it? See him in it right now. And he knows. He knows. You know, we rightly say, uh, I can't imagine being in the situation that the church in Smyrna was in. kind of taking it in a direction I haven't talked about this morning and I say this with great care but friends we may not be far from it I'm not kidding about that do you see what's happening in the world today? just see what's happening in our country today. I'm not talking politics. I'm just talking about what's happening with the view of people who follow Christ. Are are you aware of what's going on? Hey friends, you and I are becoming more and more hated as every year goes on. And I don't know if it's going to be in my generation. I wouldn't be surprised, but next generation, I, I just, Smyrna may be us. if that happened are you ready for that you see that's where the tests show what's really in the heart of a person do not fear don't fear it just have the right perspective about it unto death I just want to read this paragraph of what Paul Tripp says in his book forever it says the grace of eternal life even changes the way I suffer the belief that this present life is all I have makes suffering all the harder you see if present joy is all the joy I will ever have and someone takes it away from me the impact is utterly devastating But if I know that this is not all that there is, that God is moving me towards my final destination, then I know that this moment of pain is temporary. Living in light of eternity doesn't remove my pain, but it allows me to have hope in my moments of pain. Living in light of forever means that I can wake up secure in the knowledge that it is impossible for me to ever be alone. The God of forever daily blesses me with his presence and his promises so that he will not lose me as I journey toward my final destination. This means it is also inaccurate for me to tell myself that no one cares for me and no one understands me. 
The gift of forever is not only about future hope, but also about God's presence and provision in the here and now. Jesus is just what you need, and he is all that you need. And lastly, as we're talking about this and having relationship with Jesus Christ, if that is something that you don't have, I want to lovingly say this. Lovingly. If you've not come to the point where you've received Jesus Christ as your savior, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And I call you to consider receiving Jesus Christ as your savior can do that today you've got people here up, the, up front at the end of the service if someone brought you talk with them someone in your small group talk with them we're here Lord thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness and your greatness and your wisdom These are the kind of passages that were just remind me how immature I am in you. Lord, I pray for those right now who are going through tribulations or going through slander, maybe even going through financial hardship. God, may you encourage them that you know persevere, may they be wise, may they get help. But may they see you more in this than they did when they came this morning. Lord, it's not a matter if tribulations are coming. They are. I pray we would be prepared for them and we would go subsurface and see you in it. Know that you're all we need, all we need. God, help us to understand what that means more and more. All, all we need, all we need in this one, all we need in this one. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking to your people. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.